Welcome back to the Founder Connect podcast, where we have a special spotlight series brought to you by Wyrick Robbins. If you haven't listened to part one of our interview with Deshaun Brown, go back and listen. It's the episode right before this one. Today, we continue our conversation with Deshaun, CEO of both Coworks and Lithios, Jess Porta, Executive Director of Rally Founded, and Ford Eubanks, attorney at Wyrick Robbins. I'm Jason Gillikin, CEO of EarFluence, and let's get right to our conversation on what companies need to do to be ready to take investment. I was talking to John Hayes from Rewardstock, who was on Shark Tank. Yeah. And at Shark Tank, you get 60 seconds. Yep. For for your pitch. That initial pitch that they cut down to like seven seconds is 60 seconds that you're presenting to them. So I'm going to put you on the spot in just a second right. on what your 60 second pitch is for these, you know, for, for tech stars. Yeah. And then, you know, what you're pitching now as well. But Ford, as you're starting to raise money, and Deshaun sounds like he got some money from Techstars, and then there was a, yeah. an initial round of funding as well. Like legally, what are some of the things that you need to think about to make sure that your company is in position to take money? Yeah, absolutely. So as we talked about, getting your team on board is from a business perspective is important, but it's also important from a legal perspective. And, and that comes in the form of employment agreements or founder agreements where you determine how much each person owns of the company, whether it be they own it up front or they may earn some ownership stake over time, whether or not, you know, kind of what their compensation is or kind of is currently and will be in the future. And, you know, also make sure you're complying with some minimum wage laws and some nice other things, which is why you should talk to a lawyer. But, uh, you know, <laughs> like there's a lot of little things, right? But the big things is, uh, especially for software companies, is to us properly make sure the IP that is being developed as or having their ideas and talking about things in the founding group are going to stay part of the property of the company that everyone's working towards building together. So that's why it's great to talk to an attorney up front and be like, hey, we've got this founding team. We're, we're coming up with good ideas. And you go, okay, everyone is going to you know, sign up, sign, sign on the dotted line that whatever ideas we're coming up with are going to stay within this company and we're going to all be together and build for success. So, you know, making sure intellectual property is is properly secured is really important. And then, uh, as I said, make sure people are incentivized on paper properly and that it's all documented well. And then when you're going uh, to seek financing, often there's has to be kind of some agreement of how much equity in the company. So how much ownership of the company are we willing to give to this first round of investors in exchange for how much money we need to get to the next step. Yeah. And, you know, people get obsessed with terms like pre-money valuation and what's my company worth now? And wow, I've got a $5 million pre-money valuation. And in an early startup lingo, it's nice to think of those numbers, but that's not how I think of it, whether or not it's a 5 million or a 2 million or a three, it's, it really, you use numbers like pre-money valuation and how much money you're getting to determine how much, what percentage of the company I'm willing to you know, sell essentially to investors in exchange who have the runway we need to build you know, success up to the next step. And so I often try to do a little coaching on don't, don't be afraid of the number one way or the other. Think about how much money you're, where that gets you. Uh, and then what a percentage of the company you're kind of selling to them for that. And knowing that over time, as you raise more money, you're going to continue to sell pieces of the company, right? And as a function of that, everyone's ownership kind of goes down overall percentage why it's called dilution. And so you just have to be comfortable that over time as we're raising money and diluting, our percentage goes down, but the value of the company continues to grow up, mm -hmm. go, go up. So everyone's winning over time, right? And so you kind of have to get comfortable with that as a founding team. But then on top of that, you have to discuss 
not only the money you might get from investors, but what else you're looking for out of your investors. A great example is Techstars. So sure, got some money from Techstars, but that was probably not the best, the most value that Deshaun got out of Techstars. You know, they got all the other, the, the accelerator program, the network, the notoriety, the, you know, exactly. the, going through the process, right? And so the money was great and it kept things going, but that was not the real reason for Techstars. You know, as you go into a next round of financing, you may be looking for a venture capitalist or venture capital investor that can join your board and bring some level of an external thought, someone who's been successful with a bunch of other companies that might not be in your industry, but are really close to your industry, have some unique thinking they bring to the table, have wonderful network of people and other successful companies that you kind of never know the value of it until you get there. But so, so there's a lot of other value that comes with bringing on an investor that a founder group or a, someone who's start, you know, someone who's starting a company should think about what am I getting beyond cash? And that's always really nice and, and is one of the best sells to an investor is, yes, I want your cash. What I really want is you have a great relationship with my biggest supplier or my biggest potential customer or my biggest whatever, you know, or you know this industry really well. Nothing makes an investor happier than you wanting more than the money because that's just negotiating numbers moving around on a page. Something that no one else can offer, you know, gets you in that level of trust that you really need to get an investment. Gotcha. That's great. Couldn't agree more. So uh, let me ask you a basic question on the dilution that you, you mentioned. Yeah. So let's say Deshaun and three other co-founders own 25% of the company each. Sure. And he gets a, an investment, they get an investment for 20% of the company for $100,000. You know, the stuff that you see on Shark Tank. Yeah. Is it as simple? How about 25% of the <laughs> know, company? Can I get an Excel just... chart here? I mean, what are, <laughs> well, what are you no, doing to me? But, but is, it, <laughs> is it as simple as like each of those founding members lose 5% equity in the company? You know, in, in its most simple terms, yes. And that's okay. an interesting way to mm -hmm. think about it. Your, your math actually seems like yeah. it works. You know, that's a great way to look at it. But but um, I, normally when, let's say under those terms, instead, let's say the pre-money valuation for that four founder uh, company is a million dollars and for 20%. So they're going to, they're going to offer $250,000, which sounds like it's not 20% because wait, that's a quarter of the million dollars. No, actually you think about it, $250,000 invested in a million dollar company when it's done, it's worth $1.25 million, right? In a post money valuation. Sure. And so thus $1.25 million or 250 grand of $1.25 million is 20% of the company, right? Yeah. So then all of a sudden Deshaun and founders each own as well, 20%, of a $1.25 million post-money company. Got it. And then a lot of people in their mind, and reasonably so, think, well, I own something. I own a piece of $1.25 million. Not really. Now you got to go make it successful. Yeah. They really <laughs> just, you just use those numbers to establish how much ownership is really moving to the investor group. And so, you know, it doesn't have value until you make it successful and someone is willing to invest in the next round for a higher pre-money valuation because you built the business up to being worth $5 million per year, yeah. $10 million per year. And then you, and you kind of build from there. And then the goal of course, being an exit or an IPO or a strategic sale or whatever it is. Yeah. Wow. All right. So Deshaun. <laughs> math on math on a podcast. How did yeah. you pull that off? Yes. I, I think we nailed it. We got it. Yeah. So Deshaun, you raised a little bit of money at Techstars, and this mm -hmm. was 2019. Yes. And then 2021, fast forward to, to there, all of a sudden you're looking for more money. Yes. You're looking for, was it a million dollars? Uh yeah, that was our goal. Okay. So what's the pitch then? Like what is the the pitch? And like, are you doing like what you see in Shark Tank where, where you're like <laughs> 
I'm looking for a million dollars for X percent of the business. Is that how it works? Yeah, you know, kind of actually. Uh, <laughs> like um, you do investors, they if you don't know how much money you want, that's a huge red flag off the bat because it shows them you just haven't thought through any of the stuff that we just talked about, any of that math, how much ownership you're willing to give up. You know, what can you do to make your business worth that amount? And again, these are all things that I had to sort of learn along the way. But yeah, I think so going into Techstars, it's a little bit different. And this is why I think understanding the types of investment that are available um, is important. And to me, I gravitated towards, yeah, I need access to this network. I want something that can grow our brand and our, our company, whatever. So they're looking more for, they're looking less about what are you trying to raise and more about why are you the next big company that they should put their resources in to then put in front of other investors in the future. And I knew I didn't have any funding experience either. So this would be a good way to get it. So the pitch then was a lot more related to this is sort of the product that we have in the market that we're addressing and the problem. It's very much around the problem. And I think that's with any investment, by the way, you've got to have kind of full circle going back to that problem. If you're not solving a need and proving that people like have that need, you will not get money. <laughs> like just yeah. period. And I think that was really the first hurdle was honing in what is the pain point that exists and how are we solving it and how are we solving it better and differently than anyone else. So the pitch then was co-working is the future of work. And that's sort of our, our anchor. Like this is, so get them excited. Like this is a huge thing. This is going to be a huge problem. But today there's no real tools and software that can properly address all of the needs of these co-working spaces because it turns out there's a lot of operational inefficiency. There's a lot of moving parts. They're using a lot of different systems. We've built an all-inclusive solution that you can spin up in a day that you can train people on that'll allow you to scale and grow. And we're doing it differently because we've got this member engagement and this community focused, and we're doing more than just solving operational issues. We're actually building um, stories about the people in the space and collecting data and connecting them with each other and really truly building a community. So that was kind of the pitch then to say, again, it's really more about why are you going to do this bigger and better than anyone else? Techstar says, okay, cool. We can get behind that. And then they give you all the other sort of training and resources needed to go take that to a VC. So we kind of did it in stages um, like a venture capitalist. So we got that initial round of funding from Techstar's you know, and is around 100, 150 grand or so, um, which was great. Got us, you know, to the next, to the next step. And then we came out of Techstars in, in 2019, looking to raise our big round, our big, yeah. you know, you know, million dollar round. And then, you know, I remember we took a small break, worked on the product a little bit right out of Techstars. January, 2020, we're getting all our materials together. I'm going to San Francisco, I'm going to Boston. And then, you know, March, we're like, Full speed, we're like, all right, cool, kicking it off, and then COVID. <laughs> um, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> and just did, did COVID affect co working at all? Or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <a> Jason, <laughs> yeah, it was a huge hit for co work, the, the industry in general. I mean, as you mentioned before, we're not just office space, but we're also an events business. And a number of other things. And I can't think of a worse cross-section than <laughs> commercial real estate and events to be in during COVID. I mean, other than, you know, restaurant, the restaurant industry. So it was awful. And so we had 
you know, a number of people cancel their leases and a number of people um, leave co-working because, you know, safety, they just literally weren't coming in, which made a lot of sense. And then unfortunately, I mean, I think the worst part was that a lot of companies were not surviving and just closed up shop and did something else or could not afford the space and they weren't succeeding. And especially we've had a few companies that are in literally the events management business or right. a software that supports that or a software that works with restaurants, you know, yeah. that really struggled. And so that was probably the hardest part to watch during COVID. But as Deshaun's going to talk about, I think in a, in a moment, that was this dip during COVID there. But the good thing that came out of it for our industry, and if there, if you can call anything a silver lining with what, you know, this mass atrocity that's happened, but, um, is that while large commercial real estate might be struggling in the, in the short term, the redefinition of how we work, you know, our work-life balance, how we work in offices around each other, the need to physically be in space, you know, really this like hybrid remote model of work is up and coming and it requires managing space at shared spaces. And so I think for both our industry and the product that Deshaun's built, there is a silver lining. Yeah. And I think one of the main things that transitioning from Techstars to raising VC funding is learning how to tell your story in a way that is, you know, compelling to the investor kind of emotionally, financially, and just from a business standpoint. And so that was really hard for me as someone who spent all this time in this industry trying to figure out how to like in two sentences, get them to care. And I think that's actually the magic of fundraising is you can have something that sounds logical, but that doesn't equal funding. And in yeah. my head, I was like, well, these things make sense. I've done <laughs> these things. Look at my record. Look at this product. Here's the need. What else do you want? But they have to care also. Yeah. Um, and I think that was something that, you know, sounds silly, but it's something I didn't really put as much emphasis on. Like, how do you make someone care in two minutes about what you're doing? And that's the Shark Tank battle. Yeah, They're all smart. They're all business people. Most of these people pitching have things that make economic sense on paper, but why should they care? Yeah. But an interesting fact is in doing that exercise, I, I used to try to educate people on what is co-working, blah, blah, blah. It didn't work because a lot of these investors weren't in co-working. They had their own either home office or private <laughs> office. And they're like, this isn't a big deal. And I'm like, look mm -hmm. outside. Yes, it is. But they didn't care. One of the things that I really struggled to like lock myself in a conference room in Techstars, like, you know, uh, I don't know if anyone's seen uh, Beautiful Mind, like just like <laughs> whiteboards on the windows, like Sharpie, like just like racking my brain, like, what is it? What is this? What is the secret? Um, and I had the aha moment and it was remote work. And this is pre-COVID. Basically, when I was trying to figure out how do I make someone care and think that co-working is, it matters to them as an individual, uh, you know, as an investor. And I'm, a, I'm in technology and I was like, okay, let's, let's back this all the way up. So why are people in co-working? We used to start all the way from the beginning. And I think what's happened is first technology. Technology has allowed us to change the way we work. We can do Google Meets. We can do Zoom. We can have meetings without being physically present. That wasn't true previously and, you know, 10 years ago. Now it is. Okay. Also, we've got phones. We've got high-speed internet. We've got laptops. Now, in order to do a job, most jobs... All you truly need is a laptop and internet. You don't have to be physically present. The office space used to be, so I used to work, I skipped over this part, but I did work briefly in corporate at an investment bank, which is like the most traditional corporate mm -hmm. you can get, um, dress code and all, cubicles and all. And I had to be physically on site 
for a reason. I was in um, IT. I was I was coding, and I was uh, we had servers that were physically at the mm-hmm. site, and I couldn't just like remote log in through a laptop. I right. could, but they didn't allow it. They didn't invest in that architecture on purpose because they wanted you to be on site anyway. So I had to physically be there, but everyone else didn't have that constraint. And these days, most people do not have that constraint. But before everyone did, it's the only place you can meet. It's the only place you could access your desktop yep. that was plugged into a physical outlet. Those constraints don't really m- matter anymore. So the, the the value prop of the office space has slowly and quietly changed, right? Now, an employer, the crutch is still an employer can say coming because I said so. But the value prop of when you get there, you, know, you, you look around, you're like, well, why am I here if I don't, if I could do this at home? So anyway, technology which led to people being able to work remotely, which led to this huge amount of the population who was working fractionally in an office or working out of coffee shops or working just this digital nomad phenomenon that's taken over as well. So co-working provided this interesting architecture and infrastructure for the modern worker who Mm -hmm. is able to plug in, plug out, be flexible and still want amenities and a community and, you know, high-speed internet and meeting space, but doesn't need it forever or doesn't need to be in like a corporate office. And maybe you're doing it just for the community. Maybe you're doing it just for the occasional meetings, you know, whatever. And it's, it's this like space as a service sort of approach where the, the space is meeting your needs and you're not just showing up to be there. That was like the aha moment for me was like remote work. Like, Technology led to remote work, which is leading to this whole shift in how people think about the office. So I was like, I got it. And I went to my team and I was like, I got it. <laughs> like, they're like, okay, we don't care. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, so I had that in my deck and I was ready. And like, this is like January, 2020. And people are like, mm, okay, I kind of see this. And I'm like, no, but like, don't you see, like, this is why it's going to be so big. Then COVID and then everything went quiet. All of our, like, again, I had, I was in Boston. I was in San Francisco. We were like talking to these people and they, they, they took these meetings because of Techstars, which is great. And I knew that's why we did Techstars so that we could get these meetings that most people couldn't get to. And then now it didn't even matter anymore. So we, we stopped trying to fundraise for a little bit and then the whole world went remote, like the whole world. (laughs) So I could have never predicted this. Right. Um, and I had stats on like, by this date, this percent of the workforce will be remote. And it was all like, slightly <laughs> no, no. I was way off, way off. So everyone's kind of like, oh no, what are we going to do? But then, yeah, right around uh, April, May, I'm like looking at this deck and I'm like, hold on, these numbers are way off. And then like, I started getting these meetings and the reactions just changed. Like before they would, I would go through the deck and they wouldn't really fully listen. You can kind of tell when investors not interested. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now like slide one, they're like, okay, yeah like this is big, right? And yeah, it just changed the whole like mindset of like the scope of this industry. And it's the way I've always seen co-working since yeah. many years ago when I first had the meeting with Jack. Like that's why I was trying to tell my team from day one. But people who hadn't experienced it, it there was nothing broken, quote yeah. unquote, for them. So it didn't matter. And now everyone started care. And then the second thing that happened is all of our customers, initially there was a big, like, like Jess was saying, there was a big dip and we were concerned. We stopped selling. We were like, oh no, like what are we going to do? But then we, we started getting inbound leads and we actually grew. So actually during COVID, we actually almost doubled our customer base, by wow. the way. And it was because people were like, hey, so we are open, but we can't possibly manage our space without a system. It was impossible to manage a physical space with a distributed staff and with, you know, being there remotely. 
So now all those things that people were doing, getting by with paper and pen and Excels and all these different systems, they, they couldn't do it. They, they're short staffed. A lot of people band-aided problems by just hiring physical people to, you know, just run around in circles. <laughs> and we were like, you can put those people to do other things maybe, yeah. like grow your business. Um, yeah, so they're all like, we need a platform that can do this and we need to be able to remote in. And also, by the way, we had these mobile apps. So we had a contactless solution by accident, because you can do everything in Coworks from your app on the phone. You can book a room, you can check it, you can do whatever you need. Right. You don't have to touch totally anything contact. except your phone, which yep. you already touch. Yep. So suddenly we had a contactless, you know, remote workspace solution in a industry that every investor was now obsessed with, which is the future of work. Yeah. Nothing changed. We were doing the same thing we'd been doing, but now people cared. And that's where the, I think, X factor with fundraising. And this is what I tell founders. You can, there's a lot of stuff you can do right and that you need to try to do. But there's only one thing you can't really control, and that's timing. And startups fail. And like sometimes it's not because they're not the right team or the right founder or the right product. It just isn't the right time. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I think is definitely our time more than ever. But I think that was sort of the interesting thing. So then, yeah, around May, April, uh, you know, we started having those conversations again. They went way differently. And, you know, before people would say, oh, you know, the market's too small or, oh, you're asking for too much money or, oh, here's an evaluation. That's like half of what I was looking for. <laughs> and then now it was like, okay, who else are you talking to? How do we, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how far along are you with those people? Can I get in on this? Right. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting thing. And I think we're, you know, obviously we're very fortunate, but I'm also, you know, we, we had a tool that was helping people and that's what we were trying to do from the beginning. Um, and I think, you know, COVID sort of accelerated, um, the need for having these systems in place and, and being able to help people and still engage your members and all these things. So yeah, anyway, once the investors cared, then they heard the rest of the pitch and then, uh, we were able to raise the money we needed. And so, and it was good. Like I came in with like, you know, we knew exactly how much we wanted to raise and why. And, you know, we kind of had a clear vision on how we're going to, how that money is going to get us to the next step. And so, yeah, it worked out. That's awesome. So Deshaun, I mean, amazing story, but you kind of glossed over, like we, we got the round. Like, you raised, <laughs> you raised a million dollars. Like tell the success story. Like who are the players? Like what, what, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we got it done. Um, and so, uh, it's still a little bit, uh, sort of surreal. Like I have, you know, so many things on my plate that like, I didn't really even have a chance to stop and celebrate and talk about it or whatever, but yeah. So we were able to raise, um, our lead investors, a group called Venture South. I sort of, uh, one of the things about investors too, like there's different types, there's the venture capitalists, there's angel investors, there's friends and family. Um, and they all have sort of different risk tolerance and they all have sort of ch- different check sizes. And we wanted to raise a good amount of money, but not too much money because we wanted to get enough to go prove that next thing and then be able to either A, not raise again, or B, raise again at a much bigger, bigger size, right? And so that's kind of some of that strategy piece. So Venture South ended up being a really great sort of partner. I also wanted to raise locally. And, you know, we're in the Southeast. That's it's hard to do just to be blunt. Um, it's just not, it's not easy, you know, but, but that, that matters to me. I think being like Raleigh's important to me, you know, it's part of our story, our history with NC state, all these things. So I, I did care about that. What I like about venture South is they are, they're a Southeast based venture capitalist group, but they're also yeah. like an angel group. So they actually have a bunch of angel investors, which basically are individual investors that have, you know, high net worth and, and make um, different investment, but they sort of, 
aggregate that group. And this goes back to the, again, like what else are you getting from the money? I'm, I just, I was never interested in one person with a lot of money that that's all they have. Like, don't get me wrong. I will take money. <laughs> we needed it also very badly. <laughs> um, let's not uh, discount that either. But yeah, it, they're a group that offered more than the check. They've got several dozen members that are across the country that all have different backgrounds. And so, and they kind of even can come to the table and say, here's five people. You know, here, this guy does commercial real estate. This guy does regi- residential real estate. This guy started a sales uh, SaaS company. So yeah, we we met them, I think, through, uh, it was one of the sort of local pitch sort of events that we do here. It wasn't NC Idea, but uh, there's another one that I'm, I'm blanking on right now. But yeah, we, we were doing just sort of like a local sort of pitch thing. And they were there. They saw us present. We got in touch. Shout out to Paul Clark. He's our, he's our guy. And he, uh, we, we sort of hit it off. But yeah, they saw what we were doing. They saw that scale. And they sort of realized, okay, yeah, this is the future of work. And you guys are in this space. And you can do so many things beyond co-working as well. So they came in. They led the round. And then we were able to fill it out with a few other sort of local groups um, as well. And that, that was really important to me as well. And we only had, um, I think, three investors too, which is really great to just have. And a lot of times you'll have, you, you chase 20, 30 different checks for $10,000. You're trying to, you know, and that's do whatever it takes. <laughs> so yeah. if that's what you need to do, definitely do it. Um, but for me, I really wanted to just get a focused team um, that like can support us and really just, you know, have just a, a few people in the room that understood our vision and are helping us get the resources we need to get there. And this group would like fit that bill and they understand we have a lot of different directions we can go. And, you know, they just take the approach of how can we support you and also keep us updated so that you don't go fall off a cliff um, (laughs) and lose all of our money. But we understand you all are in this, you're in it right now and you've got a few different ways to go. So anyway, yeah. So we ended up closing that round. um, And yeah, all in all, we raised just, just about a million dollars and we hit our goal. We had our goal. Our minimum was 750. And so we passed that. And so, yeah, we were really happy. And really what we raised it for is uh, we had a product, we had some customers, um, but we were, we needed to build that team. We needed to expand our reach. And what I'm excited for, for the next year is scale and expanding. We get to, um, and through Techstars too, we kind of already had other networks, but we've got spaces globally. Um, so it's not just here in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've got spaces in London. We've got spaces in South Africa, in Canada, in, you know, here in the U.S., on the West Coast, in Nebraska, all over the place. And that's part of what I love is talking to different community managers in different spaces all over the country. And they're all trying to build these communities. And um, the other thing, um, and this is back to sort of the thing that COVID exposed, which is this is the future of work. And um, businesses like big corporate businesses, everyone is now forced with to sort of reconcile with what are we going to do? What is our, what is our back to work strategy? How do we do that safely? Also, everyone's been remote. So are you just going to tell everyone to come back in the office? Like I guarantee you, most of your employees will quit. (laughs) And so um, now I think for, and for us, I, I don't really see the world in sort of black and white. Like, so a lot of people are like, oh yeah, then you should be building a full remote company because never, no one's ever going to go into office again. And I'm like, well, humans, I think we're wired to like be around other people. I don't see a version of the world where everyone works in their bedroom and that's it. And I also don't see a version of the world where everyone's forced to go to an office just because some person said so. And I think the future is 
in the middle. It's this hybrid, this flexible thing. And that's the entire point of a co-working yeah. or any flexible workspace. The other thing about, you know, what we're doing now is um, co-working can mean a lot of different things. Like we have universities that use co-works, um, NC State, that full circle story moment here, the garage oh, is now a 20,000 square foot workspace, student entrepreneur center that is mm -hmm. run and powered by co-works. So um, that's just a cool kind of feeling for me being in that, you know, initial tiny little office suite. Now it's a big, cool space. Raleigh founded does the operations there too. So like mm -hmm. all of our, you know, stories are yeah. kind of merging together. Um, so that's exciting. But then again, traditional offices are now using our sort of space because they've got flexible employees and they're like, hey, half of our people are remote, half people are here. We've never had to worry about booking conference rooms the right way because you could just walk in and we never had to worry about reserving yep. desks and we've never had to worry about checking in and seeing who's in the office. And it's like, well, actually, we do these things already for these spaces that were built for this. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just I'm excited for using this money to grow our team, but also to, you know, deploy our product across all flex workspace. And that's kind of how I've seen the world for the last several years since we started this. It was, is to me, co-working means it's more of like a, it's more of a kind of concept, not necessarily a definition of a physical space. Mm -hmm. And that's why I just was obsessed with it and did the market research and was like, you know, and I think, again, I had to learn how to articulate, you know, I'm not just doing this for this, you know, one co-working space that you might have heard of. It's like a bigger cultural thing about how we are working and how that can affect entrepreneurship and how it affects community building. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a great sort of merger of all of the things that I'm sort of interested in and care about. So yeah. That was not 60 seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but we got the money anyway. <laughs> So, Jess, I, I saw you quoted in Raw Today, also a, uh, a Venture South-backed company mm, of 6 a.m. Yeah, city. Right. And uh, so I don't know if it, they picked up a, another interview that you did. Yeah. Or, or, okay. So, but, you know, you were talking about the value of co-working now. And yeah. as, we're, as we're all changing and coming out of COVID, like what have you seen from, from the members and even bigger companies that yeah. are interested in co-working? Uh, okay, great example is Levitate. So if, first of all, if you haven't, heard of Levitate, look it up. It's a great CRM system. It has a lot of the same value that Coworks does because it takes all the bells and whistles out of uh, customer, you know, management systems. And it, it's Jess Lipson, one of our founders. It's his new company. He, he founded um, ShareFile and sold to Citrix, stayed on for a while, and then, um, but exited ultimately and started Levitate and has also been on a fundraising journey, uh, which has also gone really well. And so they scaled uh, because they fundraised. Uh, in 2019. And he was set, we moved into the Gateway location, which is a new office space that's off of Capitol Boulevard here, has these larger bays for big teams. And so he grabbed a few of those bays to put his team of, I think, 30 or so in, knowing he was going to scale. And he, you know, was very upfront with us and said, I, you know, I, we're scaling. I probably need to move out November, you know, or maybe earlier in 2020. And so um, we knew that from the onset and we we're like, oh, that's too bad. We're going to lose that company uh, in the space, but he needs to grow. He can't fit, you know, a hundred employees in here. And then COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a really terrible punchline to a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, and then COVID hit and they continued to, to scale and grow. I mean, you know, in the, in the product and they continued to hire people and 
uh, where they started with like 30 and and then grew to 60, they now have 100 people in that space. They took on some additional space, but we can't fit 100 people in that space. There are not 100 people working every day. Jess, you know, made the very, I think, wise and intentional decision to do this, what, what I was talking about, this hybrid remote model. So he said, you know what? I don't actually need my own office space right now. I have no interest in managing, you know, a 20,000 square foot building myself again. You guys are already doing all the hard work. Uh, we're just going to stay here. And then we're just not going to have every employee come in every day. And that's exactly what they're doing. So if you're at Gateway, it's really busy. It's got a lot of um, levitate employees there, but it doesn't have a hundred people there at the same time, you know? So some people are remote some days, some people are coming in and they're using our conference rooms for meetings and they're using their own space for meetings as well. And it's just this really nice model that I've actually seen a number of companies, not just them, move to where they said we were scaling, we're moving, we're scaling. I can think of companies here too. And then they said, you know what, we're kind of comfy here and we really just need a satellite office. That's the new thing I'm sort of hearing or like a footprint. And so we also adapted over COVID and we leaned more into what we're calling team memberships where a bigger company, you know, like, like a SAS or Lenovo, those aren't clients of ours, but I'm just, you know, sort of spitting out companies could uh, decide that they want to just have landing spots for their, and they say they have an office in Cary or Durham, but their employees live in Raleigh. They could have some employees just come in here and get some work done or have a team meeting here twice a month. Um, and so we've actually had a number of companies take us up on it. So having that software to handle those things is also really important. And that's what we still continue to use Coworks for. So Deshaun, um, you've got the, the million dollars now. Tell us how many employees that you want to bring on with that million dollars. Um, and tell us the, some more stats as well. Like how many, how many co-working spaces are you in? We have a very lean machine right now, and I'm still sort of trying to untrain myself from that. Because um, when you don't have a lot of capital, you've yeah. got to be super scrappy. Right. Uh, Wait, I actually did an exercise recently like in, in growing influence. If somebody gave me a million dollars, what would I do with it? And it was hard yeah. to figure out how yeah, to spend yeah. that money. For sure. Yeah. So For anyway, sure. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, we are going to... So right now, um, we there's about four or five of us. We're going to go to sort of the 10, 15 range, bring on a lot of sort of sales, marketing, um, yeah. some more engineers, but really uh, growth related team members, growth and support. Um, we've got a full product roadmap of stuff that we've had to put you know, on the, on the back burner because we don't have the resources that we're also dusting off that our customers are going to love. Um, so I'm excited about that also. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I still, I think um, less is still kind of more for me. Um, and again, this may just be me being bootstrapped and trained for so long. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, that's our next sort of inflection point is to get, you know, closer to that sort of 10, 15 range. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what kind of damage we can do there. I'm sure a lot. Um, and I'm excited about that. As far as, you know, where we are, I mentioned our footprint expanded over, over COVID globally. Also, we're in over 40 different locations around uh, the country. And so, and that's just here in the U.S. So, yeah, we're, we're hoping to double, triple that as well. And so I think we will. And uh, yeah, I've right now I'm doing a lot of sales, so I'll have to tally up all the numbers. But um, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about just getting more reach, but also even the types of spaces that we're working with now are expanding as well. Like I mentioned with like uh, what Jess was describing with these kind of traditional corporate companies, there's all kinds of new opportunities um, 
we're actually doing a pilot right now with the city of Durham. Jess and, and co are participating in that as well, but it's called um, Innovate Durham. We were one of three companies selected for that, where we're actually piloting using our network of co-working spaces. We've got a lot here in the triangle naturally, because that's where we're based, but using that network and working with the city of Durham um, and county of Durham to have their employees be able to access our network of co-working spaces exactly as yep. kind of just described. That's a great idea. And that to me is really exciting. So more of these sort of network type opportunities. And these are people and companies that have no experience with co-working or familiarity with them. So we're able to sort of be that bridge to give them a, you know, even if Raleigh found it's here just in Raleigh, well, we've got Durham, we've got Chapel Hill, we've got Cary. So they're more open to trying co-working as a concept, knowing that all of their employees can now benefit, which will lead to them hopefully getting permanent space and they can yeah. do all that stuff on their own as well. So we get to sort of be this cool facilitator bridge connector to people that would, were not even thinking about this type of work before. Um, and they also lean on us to sort of ask questions about how are your other customers doing this and how do they, and then there's the upsell of they can use our app in their home office also. Cause they're like, well, actually we don't have a room booking system. Or we don't have an employee management <laughs> yeah. system. We're like, yeah, we'll just throw you on here then. And so, yeah. So that's a cool thing we're doing now. That's been keeping me busy as well. So we got a ton of different things going on right now. So that's awesome. Well, congratulations on, on all your success. And we'll, we'll leave with, with this. So you've had successes with fundraising. You've had successes with building a couple of businesses right now. You've made some mistakes along the way. So you're in a great position to give some advice. <laughs> so for a founder listening to this, you know, in, in Rally Founded or, or wherever, what's one piece of advice that you would give them as they start their fundraising journey? Yeah, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say if you're just starting out and, and you're starting your fundraising journey, the best advice that I could give is to make sure that you have, it's kind of what I was saying before, like make sure that you're thinking about your business and why you are unique, why you are solving a problem that matters and why somebody should care about it. And I think, you know, just it's hard to check all of those boxes like, okay, here's my business plan, financial plan, here's my innovation and in product. And then just the simple, why does it matter? But if you can really lay all those things out and condense it and put it into and just make any random person, don't even think about an investor, but just your mom who doesn't understand your business, if you can make them care and say, that makes sense then I think you're ready to actually start floating that out to investors. I think the other thing, definitely talk to lawyers. <laughs> um, I, will make that, I will make that plug. <laughs> I will make that plug, especially as someone who's had some complicated orders here um, with multiple businesses. But yeah, make sure you understand legally how to structure business too, because you literally can't take on funding unless you have some of these things figured out. So yeah, make people care. Make sure you've got your sort of infrastructure in place and then, you know, you're off to the races. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, Ford, <laughs> if Deshaun or anybody listening wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. And wow, that was pretty We're good. Blood, right? I mean, come on. I'm supposed to follow. No. Um, if, if you want to get a hold of me, um, uh, you, can, you can look me up on Wyrick Robbins' website. So it's wyrick.com, W-Y-R-I-C-K.com. I'm also 
on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, I've got a, I'm on the website now. My email address is fubanks at yrec.com. Ubanks with an E, E-U-B-A-N-K-S. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Deshaun, how can people find the Coworks app? Yeah, you can check us out at coworksapp.com. Um, if any people are running any coworking spaces, definitely check it out. Hit up our contact form. We'll, we'll get back to you. Um, if you're a member as well, check it out. And yeah, that's, that's and talent. You need to hire talent. Oh, that's true. If you are looking to work for a super cool company that just got some funding and is growing and in a really exciting space, please, please reach out. We are hiring. So uh, yeah, just go to coworksapp.com. And uh, I'm connected to all those contact forms, so you'll you'll get me if you if you fill that out. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, uh, that that co-working space is obviously Raleigh Founded. How can people connect with Raleigh Founded? RaleighFounded.com. We've got a lot of uh, resources there. We've got a resource page that includes uh, resource providers like Wyrick Robbins. We've got a jobs board where I'm sure co-works will be listing the jobs if they haven't already. Or um, and if you just want to get connected directly to me, it's Jessica at RaleighFounded.com. Amazing. Well, thank you everybody for being involved in the show. I learned so much in this process and what a great story to, to share. So, so thank you so much to Sean. Thank you. And everybody listening, if you like this show, be sure to follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is edited and produced by Earfluence right here in the Earfluence studio at Raleigh Founded. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Founder Connect.